Thank you, and thank you for your greetings. I left my lovely wife at home dozing with her carer there, so she'll be happy. Just a couple of things before we start. The first is we need to pray for India, the believers in India. The new government there, with all the protestations that you hear that they're for all of the people, is a very, very radical Hindu nationalist work. It was representatives of that kind of a attitude that killed Graham Staines, that burnt him to death with his two little boys. And every Christian in India today would be very much afraid of what is to happen. They're aligned with a group called the RSS. And that group is actually a para, almost a kind of a military style gang. They're organized right across the country, so much so that when any of my brothers go there and begin to preach or anything like that in any single village, immediately one or two jeeps will, uh, will begin to come to that village to, to burn down the, the, the sheds, that, that, the, the kind of temporary shelter they've made, to begin beating people with sticks, throwing stones and so on. So they've got their representatives in every single village around India, and that's half a, half a billion villages, 500,000 villages, and they've now got almost complete and utter power. I think every Christian in India will be afraid today. But God is God, God of all the world, and God of the nations, and God gives people the governments they deserve. The second thing I want to say is that that little video that Fiona made, the first one, called What is Love, has now gone 1.73 million. And just a month ago, I got an email from, a, I didn't know, but from a lady saying, my uncle Ed wants to be in touch with you. Here's his email address. So I contacted Uncle Ed. You wouldn't believe it, but his 51st wedding anniversary is today. But his wife died a few months ago, and he's in the deepest of distress. And so he and I are in touch. And he sent me an email just yesterday saying, I'm flying to Virginia, so now I know he's in America, I didn't know. I'm flying to Virginia to be with Carolyn because I want to remember my dear Peggy on our 51st wedding anniversary, but would you and Glad have a wonderful day together? Now, isn't that something special? And then he wrote, he said, my Catholic faith is sustaining me. And I replied to him, and my faith in our Lord Jesus is something that is such a rock, a foundation, that God has given to us. And so this conversation is now continuing. And I'd like you to pray for this dear sorrowing man, Ed, because he's heartbroken. I guess I will be too when God finally takes my sweetie from me. So today we're looking at Isaiah. Now, we've had a, a number of messages on various subjects, the belief blockers, but we're moving back now to systematic Bible teaching, teaching from the Bible, from a book of the Bible. And I want you to remember that the New Testament tells us that what was written in the Old Testament part of the Bible 
is really significant. In fact, it said it was written for your learning. It is an example for you. It is something for you to take on board as you read the Old Testament. Now, some of us look at the Bible and say it's too hard. But when you start to think it through and read some history and understand what's going on, then you can surely understand what God is saying. And what we're going to learn through Isaiah in these coming days is that God still speaks. He does through his prophets. Isaiah, in this case, is the man we're looking at. So before we do, let me pray. Heavenly Father, every time we take your word in our hands, we want to understand that the Holy Spirit has been given to guide us and to teach us and also to glorify the Lord Jesus, to bear witness to him. So we're praying for the help of the Holy Spirit to understand what Isaiah has to say to us. Here we are in Budrum, and we are people who want to hear your voice. You are the living God and we are people who need to know you. So we pray that right today that you will bless us. Bless those ministering to our children, we ask you, and pray that their day will be really special as well. And right now I want to think of that man, Ed, in America. Comfort his heart today. Heartbroken he is at the loss of his lovely Peggy, he calls her. Lord, we pray that you'll just bring into his heart the sweetness of your presence today and the comfort of your presence today and pray that you'll bless glad at home today. Lord, we thank you that we have the joy of knowing that you love us and care for us so much. So bless us now as we look into your word in our Saviour's name. Amen. Now if you do have a Bible and like to open it at Isaiah, it'll be good. Not that I won't have things on the screen, I will, but we're going to be looking at the first four chapters of Isaiah today. But first of all, a little bit of background. Isaiah prophesied when there was conflict between these nations of Judah and Israel. Israel was the northern kingdom there. You can see Israel there. And there's a borderline just there, a little dotted line you can hardly see, I guess. But Israel, they were people who had actually turned their back on God and set up a way of worshipping God that suited them, not what God had said. And there'd been a number of kings there who one after another assassinated the king before and then they grabbed the throne. So there was a lot of political um, disunity and upset and turbulence and whatever other way you like to describe what was going on in Israel. So, but at this particular joint in, uh, point in history, the people of Israel had decided that they would do battle with the people down in the south, and so they were attacking Judah. Judah was a country where they had a line of kings that continued one after another. Now, it's interesting that we're talking about kings, but really we need to be talking about the men that God sent to speak to the nations while governments were ruling. And the governments were in turmoil, but these prophets of God were actually the voice of God, a commentary on what was happening in the political world, what was happening in the social world, what was happening among people in the community. And so these men were men that needed to be listened to. And you can see, as I've got there for you, we've got... Isaiah and Micah 
another one of the prophets in the Old Testament of the Bible, they were speaking to Judah. At the same time, Amos and Hosea were speaking to these people in Israel. So when you put the, the, the continuity or you put the timeline together, it's important to see that these things were happening. Now, internationally, the situation was that Assyria was the dominant power and it was attacking these little places and coming in and uh, overwhelming small nations one by one by one. And then they had a nice strategy of interspersing uh, people from this country with that country and, and, and creating a kind of a multiculturalism that wasn't intended to be smooth and easy, but it was intended to put people into little uh, pockets and disrupt them and take them away from their comfort zones and so that they were troubled, very troubled. And... They, Judah had actually asked for Assyria to come and help them, protect them from these guys in Israel who were coming to fight against them. And Assyria said, oh, that's nice, thank you. And so they came down with their armies and they did besiege and eventually they took the whole of the people of Israel away in, and, and deported them and mixed them up in all other nations and brought other nations and brought them down to Israel. You can read all that story in 2 Kings chapter 17. But there's another nation on the horizon and it was emerging and that would of course was Babylon. And in the Old Testament, Babylon becomes a very powerful thing in the days of Daniel, uh, the days of Ezra, and uh, you can read that story as well. Now, this is a bit like our world. I mean, we've got nations that are fairly dominant. The USA has been a fairly dominant nation in years <laughs> gone by. The Russia was a fairly dominant nation in years gone by. But they fade away, and other nations come up. And, of course, we're having that right today. China, of course, is a very emerging nation and beginning to exercise its, its influence in different parts of the world. And we can expect those things to happen. India, if you listen to that new uh, Prime Minister-elect of India, he is saying India will stand and we will be the power. Well, you listen. You listen to those things. Don't just let them pass you by because this is simply history repeating itself with different names. The same sort of story. But always God will have his men, God will have his people there to speak the mind of God in these kinds of circumstances. <laughs> And that's exactly what we find here with this man. Now, some of you know that you should have done your homework. And that was that you should have read 2 Kings and you should have read 2 Chronicles because these were the kings in whose period Isaiah was the mouthpiece. There was a king, Uzziah. He was a good king until he became proud, the Bible says. And when he thought he was something really special, then he made some really bad mistakes and uh, he decided that he could go into the temple because I'm the king. And, I, and Well, of course, God says you can't. And he went into the temple and he became totally covered with leprosy. And he was then excluded. Of course, again, the, the principle of the Old Testament was someone with leprosy had to be segregated, separated. And so that's what happened to poor Uzziah. Jotham was a good king. He reigned for 16 years and did a few nice things. But then his son Ahaz became a very bad king, filled the place with idols. 
he was the one that invited the Assyrians to come down and uh, help him. And of course, as a result, they got a lot of problems. Then Hezekiah came on the scene. Now, I don't know whether you know about Hezekiah. He was a good king. He reigned for 29 years, but he made some serious mistakes when he got old. Now, you'll need to read that history. And that's your homework. Read that history, right? You got 2 Kings few chapters there and you've got second chronicles a few chapters there but for you and me the thing is that God had his man in the middle of all of that circumstance and that political turmoil and all the things that were happening God had his man Isaiah and he was prophesying for close on 60 years so I got a few more years to go so you're gonna to have to put up with me for a few more years okay and so that was what Isaiah was doing. He was God's man giving commentary on what was happening in that part of the world during those years, and it's important for us to know. Now, there are three main sections in the book. Chapters 1 to 35 was Isaiah's early ministry to Judah and to surrounding nations, resulting in, from his vision of the Lord. Then in chapters 36 to 39 is a little historical insert which is almost taken out of 2 Chronicles and put into, into Isaiah and it's something that you'll realize was what was going on as far as Hezekiah was concerned and his period. But then there's a second part of Isaiah and it's often thought that that was, a, well, some people actually think there were two different Isaiahs, that Isaiah the prophet didn't write it. Most conservative people, and I, I'm, I think I'd have to put myself into that basket, we think, yes, it was the same Isaiah, but it was something he did in his later ministry. It would be the equivalent of what you heard me say when I was starting out my work for God as a missionary and what I'm saying now. Probably there's a different emphasis now. I haven't heard myself for a long time. So chapters 40 to 66, his later ministry is to bring comfort to God's people, to tell them more detail of the Messiah, his rejection. But later on, there would be a restoration of Israel within God's purposes and plans. So you'll need to, and by the way, we in this segment of teaching over these next eight weeks or so, we are only doing chapters one through to 39. And that's your homework in general over these next few weeks to read Isaiah chapters 139, but that history is really important as well. Now, again, there's a little bit of a thing we need to notice There's some special features. Isaiah, in the midst of what he's saying, it says that Jehovah God, by the way, in your Bible, you'll see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord, L-O-R-D with capitals, all capitals. You can there put in the word Jehovah or Yahweh. That's the personal name for God. And so we are not talking about a God out there who doesn't care. We're not talking about a, a God under this tree or that tree, which a lot of people are thinking about today. We're not thinking about a fat God who smiles and sits in front of people's houses. We're not thinking about that. We're thinking about the God of the Bible, and the God of the Bible is called Jehovah or Yahweh, depending on what you want to do. So this Jehovah in Isaiah is called the Holy One of Israel 26 times in the first part of Isaiah and that second part of Isaiah that I'm speaking about. And he uses the word fire again and again as a instrument for judgment about fire. If that reminds you of anything, it will remind you of what Amos was saying. I will send a fire on those nations. I will send a fire. 
And here in Isaiah, it's, all, it's exactly the same. God will use fire, uh, well, using fire to, as an instrument for judgment, but an illustration of the judgment of God. But then there's a messianic theme. Now, what do I mean by messianic theme? Well, it's really prophecies about the coming of Jesus. Amazing. Here's a man who's living 700 years plus before Jesus came, but he's the one who tells us that Jesus would be born of a virgin. He's the one that tells us that Jesus would be born and he would be a child born but a son given and his name would be called and there's all these other lovely things about Jesus. He, will t he tells us about Jesus would would. His, his conception, his ministry, that he would give sight to the blind, that the, the dead would, uh, the deaf would hear, the lame would walk. He tells us all of those things. And, and he tells us about Jesus, his rejection, that he would be rejected by men, that he would die, and ultimately he would reign. He also shows us very clearly that Jehovah, there I should have capital L-O-R-D, I've only got the small ones, but I should have the capitals there. This Jehovah is a God over all the nations and God keeps his eye on all the nations and he will use Isaiah and Jeremiah to speak to the other nations as well. God isn't only interested in Israel. A lot of people think the Old Testament is about Israel. It isn't. It's about God and God's view of the whole world. And God has very special messages. Yes, for all of the surrounding nations, Assyria, Babylon, for Tyre, for all of those nations. But also we read that, well, we notice that much of the book is written in Hebrew poetic form, but I'm not much good at poetry, so I'm not going to do too much with that. So what we're going to do is look in chapter 1 at his first message and, and we're going to try and skip through to the end of chapter 4 verse 6. Of course, obviously it's a big book and we can't look at too much detail. But what we're doing today is looking into the first message of, to, uh, to God's people. So if you've got a Bible there, you might care to open it. And the first part you'll notice is that it's a complaint. God is complaining about his people. Chapter 1 and verse 2, he doesn't talk to his people, but God calls out to the heavens and to the earth to be witnesses. He says, O oh heavens and O oh earth, I want you to see what's going on, on this world, in this world I've made. I want you to see what's happening to these people that I have read. I have read children, God says. I have brought them up. But these children have rebelled. That may be a familiar theme. I've brought children up, but they've rebelled against me. And God is calling on the heavens and the earth to have a look at what's going on on the earth. Well, the heavens obey. They declare the glory of God. The sun will rise and they can tell you for the next 12 months at what time the sun will rise on any given day. They will tell you what height the tide will be and when the tide will come. The earth and the moon. And they can tell you months, years ahead when there'll be an eclipse of the moon or an eclipse of the sun or when the planets will be in alignment and so on. They can tell you because the heavens obey God. The, the whole universe obeys God. Our seasons obey God. Summer, winter, spring, an autumn, not so obvious here in our part of the world. But it happens. 
And it all obeys God. The cycles, the laws of physics, all of these laws obey God. Because this is what God has put into our world and it is something that happens according to his plan. So there's very good reason for God to say, oh heavens and earth, you look at these men, these people that I have created. I read them, I brought them up, but they've rebelled against me. And then he says something strange. He says, even the animals don't do that. Animals know how to come home. One of the things that struck me when I lived in India was to watch the little boys come around everybody's house and, and, and collect their buffaloes. And they collected the buffaloes, and then with the stick, the little boys would beat the buffaloes on the back, and they would drive them out to common grazing grounds. And there were always pools of water and there the buffaloes would wander around and the buffaloes would eat and then uh, have their time in the water. The boys would climb over their back and wash them and do all sorts of things to them. But then at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the evening, depending on what time of year it was, the boys would get their animals out of the water and then they'd hit them on the bottom and say, go home. Those animals would go home. Sometimes the boys sat on their back and just let the animals go. And the amazing thing was that these animals would go home. And that cow there in the middle of the street of India is heading home. Animals know how to go home. But more incredible to me was the washermen of India. Now, in India, you had men whose job it was to wash. And they would come around to your house and they wouldn't wash your smalls and things like that. But they'd get your sheets and your quilts and your heavy stuff. And for fellas, they would take your shirts and your, your, your trousers and things like that. And they'd take it out to what we call the Dobie Gut. This is out here. These men are all called Dobies. And there they're washing. Now, that spray there, you can see that whitey. So that's because they're hammering it down on the bang over the shoulder and bang over the shoulder and bang over the shoulder and, and so they're washing your clothes well that's fine but they come to your house with a donkey and they're leading the donkey and they bundle all the dirty clothes inside a, a sheet like that sorry inside a sheet and they carry it out to the dobie gut which is what this is washing and then in the evening, they pack them up again, and then they send the donkey home. Now, there's no one there leading the donkey, touching the donkey. And as you go around the villages, you see the buffalo standing outside the house, banging the door with its horn, let me in, let me in. Or you see a buffalo standing outside the house with this great load of washing on, and that's ready for ironing. And so it's standing out there. Where's the owner? Well, he's at, in a tea shop somewhere having a cup of coffee or having a conversation. He hasn't touched that animal from the moment. He sent it on its way, and, it can, and God says, you know, even chooks know how to go home. Cats know how to go home. Dogs know how to go home. But my people, well, God's complaint is this. They do not know. Human beings do not know how to go home. They do not understand. And what he now tells us is this. They don't understand what God thinks about them. They don't understand what God, what, what God sees in them. How thick can you be? 
if God is your creator, and if God has an expectation of you, then are you one of those that constantly rebels against God, that refuses God, that ignores God, and lives your life as if God doesn't exist? Or are you a person who has heard the voice of God? And this is what Isaiah is saying. You see, what God sees is a sinful nation, a nation of people who are loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children who are given over to every kind of corruption. They have forsaken the Lord's the problem. See that? See the capital L's? Capital O-R-D? They've forsaken God. They've turned their back on God. They've spurned. That's a word we don't use very much. But to spurn is to treat with absolute disgust and to reject violently. And they've turned their back on God. The Holy One. What a sad, sad state of affairs. It's all very well to have these nice kings, good kings. But you've got a a whole nation that God sees as sinful. And then he changes the picture. He says, well, you're not only sinful, but I see you as desperately, seriously ill. And your situation is such that unless you do something about it, you're in grave distress. Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there's nothing that's healthy about you. There's only wounds and welts and open sores. Doesn't sound like a happy happy kind of condition, does it? And that's how God sees his people. But what they don't understand is this, that their whole land, because of their sinfulness, is under a judgment. Your country... Your cities, your fields are feeling the hand of God in judgment upon you. That's what Isaiah is showing them. And if we look at our country and we see our fires and see our floods and see our circumstances and see the distress that people have, is it not true that our people equally ignore God? They mock God, they spurn God, they reject God. And even some of us might be guilty of the same. Without understanding that God is the Holy One. And we need to come before Him in obedience and faith. You don't realize, he says, that God has already shown you mercy. Unless the Lord Jehovah Almighty had left us some survivors, we'd become like Sodom. What happened to Sodom? What happened to Gomorrah? The judging hand of God fell upon it, upon those cities. They were burned with brimstone and fire. Well, God has shown you mercy, chapter 1, verse 9. But all this religiosity that you're going on about, don't think that these people weren't doing it. They were praying and they were bringing their offerings. And God says, this multitude of your saints, what are they to me? I'm not interested in these things that you do. I'm interested in the the person that you are. What kind of person are you? You see, they were saying, well, I'll bring my offering. I'll give my money. I'll I'll come to church. I'll sing a song. I'll say, I exalt you. God says, I've more than enough of your burnt offerings of rams, of fat, of fattened animals. I've no pleasure in the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. When you come to appear me, who asked you this trampling of my court? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. 
See, the Bible says obedience is more important than sacrifice. God wants people who obey him. He wants people who yield to him. He doesn't want religious activity. He says, your incense is detestable to me. Your special meetings, new moons, Sabbaths, convocations, festivals, special feet. I'm not interested. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. My whole soul hates these things. They become a burden. To, this is God speaking. You see, these people did not realize that all this religious stuff that they were going on about was something that God absolutely refused. And then he says, you spread out your hands. Oh God, I'll close my eyes. When you offer many prayers, I refuse to listen. Your hands are full of blood. In other words, you are a people who refuse God, a people who disobey God. Nice man, Isaiah. You can imagine how well he was received in the town. But he's God's man. And he has to speak God's word. And as he speaks God's word, he has to say, you need to meet God's standards, friends. Wash, make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. You see, social justice was very much part of what God was interested in. Not people coming with their offerings, their prayers, and all the noise they were making and the songs they were singing. Amos reckoned that God had no interest in all these happy, clappy songs that people were singing until they first got their hearts right with God. Well, that's true. Amos said exactly the same thing. But God gives an invitation. He says, all right, that's who you are. Now, would you come to me? Would you come to me? Come, let's sit down and think about who you are and what you are. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Come to me, though your sins are like scarlet. This is a favorite memory verse of mine from when I was a kid at Sunday school. Though your sins were, are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Would you come? That's God's invitation. Would you come? Would you come and get your life sorted out? But you need to come. God's willing, but you need to be willing to come. And let God do it. If you are willing and you are obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and say no, then you will be devoured by the sword. Judgment. Well, that's a theme that runs right through the Bible. Note the kindness of God. The severity of God. We learned that a little earlier on as we were talking about God. Talking about hell. Talking about judgment, God always offers salvation first. But for those who resist and rebel, they'll be devoured by the sword.
He says to these people, see the results of your disobedience. A faithful city, what was once faithful, has become a harlot. Once she was full of justice and righteousness, now murderers. Sad. Your rulers are rebels. Your companions of thieves. They love bribes and chase after you. Sounds like New South Wales, I catch. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. Social injustice. God sees it all. I told you, he's the God of all the nations. He's the God who sees everything. And his invitation is, come and I'll sort out your sins. Come, come to me and let's sit down and we'll sort out your sins. But we need to be confident. And this is what God will do. I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross, remove your sins. Afterwards, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. So, as an overview, that's chapter 1. And it's not comfortable or easy for us to read these things. But the reality is that we have to deal with the Holy One. He is a God of absolute holiness. And if we resist and rebel against him and continue in our sinfulness, then we, can have to, we have to understand that God has no option but to demonstrate that he is also the righteous God who will judge. And this was the message of Isaiah. But now in chapter 2, he turns to particularly Judah and Jerusalem, not just the whole nation, but now and that message was, of course, a message that went up to Israel as well. But now it's a message particularly for Judah and Jerusalem. This is what God's going to do. Firstly, in the future, in the last days, the mountains of the Lord's temple will be established and all nations will come. Wow, that sounds fascinating. Not what we're seeing in our world today. What we're seeing in our world today is a lot of nations wanting to destroy Israel. But God is saying in the last days, all nations will come to the Lord's mountain, or the mountain of the Lord's temple. Many people will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord. He will teach us his ways so we may walk in his paths. Now, this sounds like a wonderful thing, but it is. It's what God intends to do. It will happen in the future. He will judge. And look at this. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. What a world that will be. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That's the kind of response that we need to give to this intention, this revelation of what God intends to do. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful every single gun and tank and bomb and bomber and everything were, were transformed into something useful and helpful and, and a help and a blessing to mankind rather than being destructive. Nations will not take up so Wow, we can't imagine that kind of a day. But God will do it. But first, he will judge. And in chapter 2, <clears throat> here are verses that perhaps you need to look at. I don't have time to look at them. But these were the sins that they, they had. Superstition, where they were beginning to uh, burn incense to this one and go to, go to uh, mediums and, and, and look at tarot cards and all that kind of stuff. Well, we've got that happening in our world today. More and more people are turning to this kind of thing. 
divination, having seances and, 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 and getting mediums to, to, I see it advertised to psychics, asking a psychic to have their palm read. Well, it's happening today. Materialism. And look, they were collecting lots of gold and lots of possessions and lots of hoarding horses and things like that. Well, God had said, particularly in Deuteronomy chapter 17, don't do that. That's the last thing you do. You must not do those things. And yet they're doing it. Idolatry. And there's an arrogance and pride. You read in chapter 2, verse 11 and verse 17. And then you read that in chapter 2.22, why do you trust in men? Why do you think men can do anything for you? You trust in men, but you ignore God. And there was an absolute defiance of the Lord and his law. And while that was going on, there was this complete and utter injustice for the poor. And then in chapter 3, verse 13 to 15, uh, sorry, chapter 3, verse 16. Now, I think I'm going to get into trouble when I read this. But I'm going to read it anyhow. I'm used to trouble. Isaiah chapter 3. Look at this. What God wants is something special. Chapter 3 and from verse 16. In that day. Starts off in verse 16. The Lord says the women of, Z of Zion are haughty. Walking along, no, I shouldn't read it, should I? <laughs> Without stretched necks. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. What do you mean? Oh, sorry, that's a little earlier I read that. Walking along, flirting with their eyes, tripping along with mincing steps. You just imagine it. With ornaments jingling on their ankles. Therefore the Lord will bring sores to the heads of the women of Zion. The Lord will make their scalps bald. What does that mean? It means they'll be slaves. It means that God will judge them. They'll end up as slaves. Their heads will be bald. The women's heads will be cut. In that day, the Lord will snatch away their finery, the bangles, the headbands, the crescent necklaces, the earrings, the bracelets, the veils, the headdresses, the ankle chains and sashes, the perfume bottles and charms, the signet rings and nose rings. The fine robes and the capes and the, and the cloaks and the purses, the mirrors, the linen garments, the tiara, oh, tiara, I'm glad it's tiara, I have to get rid of that, with shawls. <laughs> Instead of fragrance, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of well-dressed hair, baldness. Instead of clothing, sackcloth. Instead of beauty, branding. Slavery. That's just slavery. Nothing but. And the gates of Zion will lament and mourn. You see, that's a really, really sad thing. But the scripture says, such attitudes, such behavior has brought disaster upon themselves. And God will judge the nation. Go back to the beginning of chapter 3. He will withdraw in verse 2. In verse 1, sorry. See now, the Lord, the Jehovah Almighty, is about to take away from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and supports. All supplies of food, all supplies of water. And then he will take away men of authority. 
I will take away the judge, the hero, the warrior, the judge, the prophet, the soothsayer, the elder, the captain of 50, the army, a man of rank, the counselor, the skilled craftsman, clever in charge. I will make boys their officials. Mere children will govern them. People will oppress each other. Man against man, neighbor against neighbor. Young will rise. Oh, that sounds sort of familiar. The young will rise up against the old the base against the honorable. A man will seize one of his brothers at his father's home and say, you've got a cloak, you be our leader. Take charge of this heap of ruins. But in that day he will cry, I've got no answer, no remedy. I've got no food, no clothing in my house. Don't make me the leader. And it goes on to say, the problem is this. Judah is Jerusalem staggers. Judah is falling because their words and their deeds are against the Lord. Defying his glorious presence, they have brought disaster upon themselves. In verse 12, Use oppress my people. Women rule over them. O oh my God, your guides lead you astray. They turn you from the path. You see, social structures are going to absolutely collapse. That's what God says. And that was happening in Jerusalem. But it's happening in our world as well. When Matt was here the other day, he gave us such a stirring account of what's going on in our society. And I think every one of us was touched by it. Well, God says that's not new. Isaiah was saying exactly the same thing. But there will be a dread of the Lord. People will go hide in caves, hide in caverns. They will hide because of the judging power of God. There will be such a desperation for leadership. They'll be saying to anybody and anyone, you've got a coat, you look pretty good, you be our leader, you be our leader. In fact, God has taken away those, those truly godly leaders or the leaders that should have been there and people are getting leaders of their own choosing and these leaders are leading them astray. And then in chapter 4 verse 1 is a very interesting and a sad thing. There will be such a desperation to belong, to be, to be part of a community. It says, in that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, we will eat our own bread, provide our own clothes, only let us be called by your name. What does that tell you? It tells you that there's been a complete and utter breakdown of the family type of relationships. That there are a seven to one relationship in terms of men and women. And these seven women say, I need to belong. I need to have a family. I need to be part of something. So they'll, all seven of them will come and grab hold of one poor guy and say, let's belong to you. Let me, let's belong to you. We'll eat our own food. You don't have to feed us. You don't have to clothe us. We just want to have your name. We want to belong. Now, I don't know whether this sounds familiar to you, but our society is in bad shape. Our community is in great, great distress. And what Matt shared with us the other day still rings in my ears. But that's not all. God will restore. There is hope. And that hope can only come from God. And at the end of chapter 4, uh, chapter 4 from verse 2 to verse 6, is a beautiful little thing where God says these words. In that day, 
the branch of the Lord. You know, that's talking about Jesus. In chapter 11 and chapter 52, 53, sorry, there's this reference to Jesus as the branch. The branch. It's one of the titles given to Jesus. And imagine, 700 and something years before Jesus is even born, here's God telling us about this branch, this Messiah, this Christ, this Jesus who will come. He will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be pride and glory of survivors in Israel. Those who are left will remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy, all who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. The Lord will wash away the filth. He will cleanse the bloodstains. And in verse 5, the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there. Look at this. A cloud of smoke by day and the glow of a fire, flaming fire by night. What does that remind you of? Smoke by day and cloud by night. Exodus, the presence of God, the glory of God. Now, in the midst of all of this stuff that poor Isaiah is having to say to God's people to awake them up to their condition, he is presenting to them the beautiful hope that there is this wonderful promise of the presence of God amongst them. A cloud by day. And a flame of fire by night. The glory of God. The presence of God. And you know that is where he starts. And then his last little word is this. I'm going to tell you this. Jerusalem. And all that it represents in terms of God and his purposes and plans. Will be a shelter and a shade. A refuge and a hiding place. And that's not because of the physical Jerusalem. That's because of the presence of God. Friends, there's two options. We can say this is old hat, this is stuff that Isaiah spoke way back then. Doesn't, doesn't really affect me. Well, it does. Because what I said at the outset was this. These things are written for our learning. These things are written now for us to understand that God has standards, God has requirements, God expects his people to come to him. God expects all people to come to him. And that's why that invitation is, come now, let us reason together. Come now, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That invitation still stands. It still stands. And if you've never ever come, and this is really important for young people, some of us older people too, to think about it. If you've never ever come to God and surrendered to Him and allowed Him to cleanse you of your sin, then I think today would be an absolutely perfect, because it's my 51st wedding anniversary. <laughs> It'd be an absolutely wonderful day for you to say, today I got right with God. Today I made my peace with God. But if you resist, we read, if you rebel, then I'm sorry. I have to say that you are taking on the Holy One 
of Israel. And God becomes your enemy and not your friend. Let's pray. Father, Isaiah has many things to say to us. He'll tell us later that the Lord Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He will tell us that by his stripes we are healed. And we thank you that that message of the good news through Isaiah comes to us even though there is so much explanation and exposition, revelation of our rebellious and disobedient hearts. So as we study through this book in these coming weeks, help us, Lord, to truly grasp the things that you're saying to us and then apply the principles that we're learning there to our own life and experience. We thank you that we were able to share this time together. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus and all that that means to us be with us today. May each of us experience the love of God, particularly in a very special way today and what that means to us. And let us know what it is to have the Holy Spirit as a partner with us in every single way throughout this day and in these coming days. We pray this as we give you thanks in our Saviour's name. Amen.